Where there is consistent obedience to the Lord, there is always opposition. And behind all opposition to the gospel is Satan. We need the wisdom of God's word to recognize his attacks and the boldness of God's spirit to respond properly. Unfortunately, these are not always present in some modern day churches. This is the Wisdom Journey with Stephen Davey. And this lesson is called, Three Characteristics Missing in the Church Today. In our wisdom journey through the book of Acts, we've discovered all over again the truth that there is no such thing as an opportunity without opposition. And there are a lot of churches today, unfortunately, that are folding rather than flourishing. And a lot of it has to do with the presence of opposition. We've just seen the church of Jerusalem facing opposition and Peter being rescued miraculously from prison. Well, now the focus of our study shifts back to Paul and Barnabas. Acts chapter 11 told us that Barnabas and Saul went to Jerusalem with a gift for the needy believers there. Chapter 12 wrapped up by informing us that they had returned to Antioch. Well, now today we're in chapter 13, and we learned that the church in Antioch has developed a wonderful leadership team of five men. In fact, we're introduced to them as the chapter opens in verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Two offices are functioning here in this church. First, you have the office of prophet. Prophets are going to remain in the early church until it finishes its formation stage, foundational stage, and that's completed when the New Testament revelation from God is completed. Secondly, there's the office of of teacher. The teacher's role is to explain and apply the revealed word of God, and that role exists to this day. Well, five different men are listed here as leaders in this local church. Barnabas is listed first. He's a Jewish believer. We've already studied a little bit of his ministry. Saul of Tarsus is listed uh, last. Uh, Later on, by the way, in this chapter, he's going to be called Paul for the first time. Saul was his Jewish name, Paul, his Roman name. And as his ministry turns more and more to reaching the Gentiles, he's going to be known by his Roman name, Paul. Also listed here is Simeon, who is called Niger. Niger is the Latin word meaning black, indicating that he's a black man. Many Bible scholars identify him, by the way, as the one called Simon of Cyrene, the one who carried the crossbeam of Christ up to Golgotha. Cyrene is located in North Africa. Well, next on the list here is Lucius. He's also from Cyrene. And finally, there's Menaean. Verse 1 gives us the interesting comment that he was a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Now, this is Herod Antipas, the ruler guilty of beheading John the Baptist. Uh, This is the same Herod before whom Jesus stood while on trial. 
Now, the Greek term used to describe Manan's relationship to Herod is suntrophos. It indicates someone who was raised alongside another. You could actually translate it foster brother. Now, we're not given the details, but there's quite a testimony here in Manan's life, isn't there? Imagine two brothers, as it were, both raised together in the same palace in the same royal family. But by the grace of God, Herod's foster brother becomes a minister. Herod becomes a murderer. So you can imagine, you know, the unique leadership here in this church. They represented different ethnicities, different backgrounds. You have Jews and Gentiles. You have rich and middle class. Well, now they're working together in unity. Not because they are like each other, but because they belong to each other in the family of God. Well, now verse 2 tells us that they're worshiping the Lord and fasting. The fact that they're fasting implies that they're looking for guidance from the Lord. It's possible they're sensing a responsibility for missions beyond Antioch. And the Holy Spirit gives them clear guidance. He says here in verse 2, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. The church responds in verse 3, They laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, I don't want you to miss this here. They are essentially sending Paul and Barnabas to the mission field, which means they're sending nearly half their pastoral staff away. This is this is quite a moment here, beloved. For the first time in the New Testament, a local church senses the need to reach beyond themselves, and they're even willing to send their best. Well, off they go. They land eventually on the island of Cyprus. This is the home country of Barnabas, and verse 5 tells us here, They proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Well, they start in the Jewish synagogues, which is going to become their practice. We don't know the response in the synagogues of Cyprus, by the way, but we do know that the gospel is going to find great acceptance among the Gentiles. Now, verse 5 adds here that young John Mark is with them. He's assisting them. He's probably carrying their luggage and taking care of, of practical needs. Well, it's only a matter of time before they encounter opposition. And when they get over to the west side of the island, they come in contact with two men. Verse 6 tells us they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Now, Bar-Jesus is called Elymas here in verse 8. He's practicing divination. He's practicing occultic sorcery, the dark arts. He's evidently powerful because he's become the advisor to to Sergius Paulus, somebody we would call today the governor of Cyprus. Well, Sergius happens to be interested in hearing from Saul and Barnabas. However, here, verse 8 tells us that Elymas opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. 
Well, beloved, he happens to know his job security is in in jeopardy. He's going to keep these missionaries away from the governor. Well, now Saul speaks directly to Elymas here in verse 10. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? (laughs) Well, this is rather blunt. Well, let me tell you, beloved, the church could learn something from Saul here. He doesn't sit down to dialogue with Elymas. He doesn't seek some compromise where, you know, they can work together to clean up the culture there. He, he doesn't ask Elymas for advice on how to reach into the top tier of the political world. Paul does none of that here. In fact, he calls him here a son of the devil, a deceiver. The word Paul uses for deceit refers primarily to bait. It comes from the world of a a fisherman baiting his hook. A fisherman is trying to deceive that fish into thinking it's going to get some dinner, but instead it becomes dinner. Well, Elymas has been baiting Sergius with interesting things to distract him from the truth and to, frankly, lead him into spiritual ruin. Paul says to this false prophet here in verse 11, The hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And we're told, immediately mist and darkness fell upon him. And he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. This is ironic, isn't it? Elymas has spent his career leading people into darkness. Now God's judgment leads him into a period of time of of darkness where he's unable to see. By the way, we never read of Elymas again, but we do read of a spiritual awakening here in verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Well, all of this reminds me of at least three characteristics that need to be seen in the church today, but are unfortunately, often missing. First, we need open eyes to see the mission fields of the world. It's easy for a church today to measure its success by how many people it seats. We need to measure success by how many people we send. We need eyes that are open to see the opportunities God gives us for gospel ministry outside the walls of our church buildings. Secondly, we need, we need firm hands that grip, as it were, the truth of Scripture. The enemy of the church wants to bait us, wants to distract us, wants to dilute the truth, like Elymas, who took what was straight and he made it crooked. Thirdly, we need courageous hearts to tell our world the truth of the gospel. Let me tell you, when we're like Paul and Barnabas, when we're like the church in Antioch, We're not going to see churches folding. We're going to see churches flourishing for the glory of God. Well, until we set sail next time, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.
That was Stephen Davy and a lesson he called Three Characteristics Missing in the Church Today. You're listening to The Wisdom Journey. Stephen is teaching through the Bible on this three-year journey through God's Word. Stephen is the president of Wisdom International. Please claim your free membership in what we call Friends of Wisdom. When you do, you're going to receive exclusive offers and free resources from Stephen. Each Tuesday, he sends an email featuring an article he's written, the answer to a Bible question he received, or a link to a free resource. There's no cost or obligation to join, and it's easy to get signed up. Visit wisdomonline.org forward slash friends. Again, that's wisdomonline.org forward slash friends to claim your free membership in Friends of Wisdom. Then, join us next time to continue traveling along this wisdom journey. 